right, thank you, choir. Uh, perfect, perfect song for the next three months of what we're going to be talking about. Um, welcome, good morning. Uh, thank you for being here, Woodside Community Church. Um, kids, um, as I always forget, you are dismissed um, out here through the front door. Follow the red hair, um, and you can find your way out there. You guys are in better hands than everybody else is, um, so um, enjoy. Um, thank you, kids. Um, we have heat today. There's no flood in the basement, um, so we're all feeling pretty good. Um, we're all pretty excited. Um, we're also feeling good, and we're excited because we're starting a new series today. Um, we just spent 22 weeks um, in the short book of Paul uh, Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, which I, I loved. I, I find myself um, most at home um, in Paul's letters, but there's just lots of dense theology there. There's lots of heavy um, lifting that you have to do. And now it's time for something completely different, which is why for the next three or so months we're going to be turning to the book of Judges. Why Judges? <laughs> Good question. That's what I was wondering this week as I was working um, through it. That's the question I want to answer for you here um, this morning. Um, today is going to be a little bit different than usual um, because we are so unfamiliar with this book um, that I want to spend some time doing some overview and some introduction and explanation. I've never done this before, um, so it won't hurt to do it once. Um, so we're not going to walk through a whole text today because we're going to kind of set the stage First, I want to first convince you why it is an important and valuable use of our time to walk um, through this 3,000-year-old book. So next week, we'll start working through the text um, in chapter 1, but today is simply, why judges? And if you know anything about this book, you may be asking yourself the same question. No one preaches on judges. It's just not done. Has anyone in here heard a sermon on the book of Judges? Anyone? There's two. Is anyone here in a series on the book of Judges in here, right? No, no one. Right? It doesn't happen. No, Sam, you're a liar. No, I'm kidding. That was terrible. No, you're not a liar. Um, fine, good. Um, one person. That's, that, that's my point. Um, no one preaches on the book of Judges. Why? Why is that? Well, it's because we, we tend to stay away um, from this book because we don't know what to do with it. Judges makes us uncomfortable and it offends our polite modern sensibilities. Because Judges is, quite honestly, a bit dark and disturbing. It's the most violent and troubling period in the Bible. Most of these stories are PG-13 and some of them are going to be straight up R. Um, and you guys, are, some of you are going to be shocked about um, some of these stories being contained in Scripture. So why then spend months in this old, dark, confusing book? Glad you asked. Um, that's what we're going to do here this morning. Uh, no offense to Maria and the wonderful movie The Sound of Music. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. The end is also a very good place to start. And that's where we want to spend our time here this morning. I want to begin Judges at the end. Um, as we introduce this book, we're going to look at just one verse um, that's going to help explain what this whole book is about. So turn to Judges. It's the seventh book in the Bible. Um, go to Genesis and start going to your right. Um, Deuteronomy, Joshua, then Judges. And go to the very end. One verse. Judges 21, verse 25. Uh, this one verse summarizes the whole thing. Um, so let me just read this short verse, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll get going. So Judges 21, um, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, let's pray. 
Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Um, Father, it is good, and it is true, and it is right, and it is very, very important, um, Lord. So I pray um, right now that you would speak and work um, through it. Uh, Father, I just want to pray for this whole series um, here at the beginning. Uh, Father, this is a hard book. This is a confusing um, and sometimes disturbing book, um, Father. But this book is part of your word, um, Lord, and you have given it to us um, for a reason. And Father, I pray that we would discover that reason over the coming weeks, Father, that you would um, show us the great depths of our sin and depravity, um, Father. But at the same time, you would allow that then to greater um, magnify the, the heights of your grace and your faithfulness, um, Lord, that you do not leave us or, or forsake us, that you are good to us and faithful to us, not because we are good or desirable or easy to get along with, but Father, you're faithful to us in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our unfaithfulness to you. And so, Father, I pray that that's what we would get um, here in these coming weeks, that even in this book written a thousand years before Jesus, Father, you would show us great things about the gospel and about your son and about what you're doing to save and preserve your people. Father, we need you in this time, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Right, why judges? All right, the first reason is quite simply because Christians don't read the Old Testament. If this is your first time in a church, there's a pretty good possibility that you have read about as much of the book of Judges as people who have been here for decades. Because in recent years, Christians have just completely neglected the Old Testament, right? We want to try and start to remedy that here at Woodside. So as I've said, our plan is always to alternate series. New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament. We just finished Galatians in the New. That's why we're now turning to the Old. Why? Well, because of what we believe about the Bible. We believe that it is God's Word in its entirety, the whole thing. And since the Old Testament takes up over two-thirds of the Bible, right, we are doing ourselves a great disservice by ignoring it. I love books and movies, but since no one reads anymore, let me use a movie illustration. Right? I try to be all sophisticated sometimes and like artsy, critically acclaimed stuff. But if I'm being quite honest, I really just want something with a superhero in it. Right? That's my favorite um, kind of movie. Um, and the new Avengers movie comes out in exactly two months from today. Right? I'm, I'm excited. We can all go together if you guys want. Let's, let's all go and see it. It is a two-hour and 40-minute movie. Good grief, that is long, which is great. Um, but can you imagine deciding, trying to skip the first hour and 40 minutes of the movie and only watch the last hour? No, right? You'd be completely lost. The story wouldn't make any sense. You wouldn't know the characters. You wouldn't know the conflict. You wouldn't know the plot. The story would be completely lost upon you because you skipped the first two-thirds of it. Well, that's exactly what it's like when we read just the New Testament and ignore the Old. It makes a lot less sense because the Old Testament is the first half of the story. It sets the stage. It introduces us to the characters. It introduces us to the conflict that needs resolution, which is largely what Judges is going to do. So we need the Old Testament so that we can understand the New. Jesus doesn't make any sense without the Old Testament. Plus, as I said... It's all God's word, right? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work, right? So again, I don't have the time to make the case for you why we believe that the Bible is not just another book created by men, but we believe that it is literally God's word and it attests to that fact. And if you want to know why, come find me afterwards and I'd love to talk to you with it. But for Christians, we seem to have no problem believing this about the New Testament, but, but not about 
the old, right? So we cut off the Old Testament. We take our New Testaments and we, we attach Psalms and Proverbs to it. And be like, all right, here's the Bible. No, it's, that's not the Bible. It's giving a, a, a terrible um, impression of what we believe about it. But notice Paul says that all Scripture is profitable for teaching. That means that these disturbing and violent stories are here for a reason. And even these stories are profitable for us for um, teaching. They are as much a part of God's Word as the parable of the Good Samaritan or your favorite kind of feel-good Bible story. So we cannot ignore them just because they are difficult. And as we begin to understand the conflict of the Old Testament, it is going to better help us understand and appreciate the resolution of the new. Right? This very stark look at sin is going to better help us understand Jesus and grace. But more on that here in a second. So we don't read the Old Testament, but our second reason today is that when we do actually read the Old Testament, we don't understand it and we don't know what to do with it. Many Christian churches... Listen, especially um, kind of from the churches from the fundamentalist heritage that we're trying to dig our way out of. They teach that the Old Testament, they, they teach it incorrectly, right? Since we don't understand the Old Testament, what often happens is that we end up treating the stories in it as fables. Not as fables as in not true, but what is a fable? A fable is a story that teaches a moral lesson. That's basically how I grew up understanding the Old Testament. Look at Abraham. Have faith like Abraham. Look at David. Be brave like David. Right? Nice little moral stories. But man, if you want stories that teach a moral lesson, right, go read Aesop's fables. Right? To read the Old Testament stories in this way is a great tragedy. Right? And this is no small thing, especially when it is preached from the pulpit. Because it leads to the impression that being a Christian is about little more than being a good person. Listen, a pastor can use words like grace and faith all he wants, but when the bulk of his message boils down to try harder, don't do this, do that, be a better person, he's not preaching the gospel, right? He's not preaching grace. He's preaching works. That's not the Christian message. This is moralism. I listened to a message last week from another church, and it was, it was only about serving and being faithful. There was a text, didn't pay attention to the text, and they just said, you need to serve more and you need to be more faithful. Listen, guess who else loves encouraging um, service and faithfulness and being a good person? Everyone, right? A Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, a Jew, a Muslim. They could have all got behind and agreed with that message because it was about nothing more than morality. You need to be a good person and you need to do more. And when people just hear that from the pulpits of our churches, then they assume that that is our message. Be a good person, be moral, and be saved. No, right? That is not the gospel at all. It is, that's no more than moralism. And that's not the message of the Bible. That is the message of the world and religion. And that's why I want to specifically spend time in Judges. Because Judges will force us to break out of the rut of how we usually read the Old Testament. As these collection of moral stories about heroes that we should imitate. Why will Judges do that? Because in Judges, there are no heroes that we should emulate, right? The supposed human heroes in Judges all turn out to do some pretty terrible things, right? Let me make this very clear up front. The message of this book is not be like the Judges. No, it is often the exact opposite, um, but we will get um, to that. 
So Judges is going to be very helpful for us because it's going to force us to start and try to interpret and understand the Old Testament differently than we um, tend to. This is not morality. This is not about being a good person. This is not about um, be like these people. No, these are terrible people. Right? Which is going to bring us to our, our third reason for Judges. If that's the wrong way to interpret the Old Testament, what's the right way? Right? Well, it's quite simply that it is about Jesus and the gospel. And if that's true, then there is great value to be found even in this dark and violent book because Judges is about the gospel. Judges is ultimately about Jesus. So, not moral lessons to follow, but stories that reveal to us God, who he is, what he does for his people. Stories that are going to ultimately point us forward to Jesus Christ. But again, why? Why would I interpret these stories written a thousand years before the life of Jesus to be about him? Well, because that's how Jesus himself interpreted these stories in the Old Testament, right? If we want to understand the Old Testament correctly, we must begin to understand it as Jesus did. Two really important passages that should interpret and should inform how we interpret the Old Testament. Um, first one is John chapter 5. I mean, John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to some of the Jewish authorities, right? They do not believe um, in him. And in verse 39, he, he talks to them and he says, You search the scriptures. All right, Paul's there. All right, this is Jesus. This is 30 AD, right? What does the word scriptures mean at that point? The Old Testament, right? There was no New Testament. That wasn't written until the 40s and the 50s and onwards. So he says, you search the scriptures. You search the Old Testament um, and because you think in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Then in verse 46, he says, if you had believed Moses, right? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. If you had believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? For Moses, he wrote of me. Earlier, flip over to John chapter 1. In John 1, verse 45, right? They're just starting to meet Jesus. And Philip has met Jesus already. He runs to Nathanael and he says to him about Jesus, we have found him of whom Moses in the law First five books of the Bible, um, and also the prophets, the, the last um, third of the um, Old Testament. Uh, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. All right? So again, here's Moses, and here's the law, Old Testament, writing about Jesus. One more flip um, back to your left, just a couple pages to Luke 24. All right, we're after the resurrection here. Jesus has died. He has come back. His followers haven't really figured it out yet. He's walking down the road with two of his disciples. They don't know it's him um, yet. And then in verse 27 of Luke 24, it says, And beginning with Moses, first five books of the Bible, prophets, that whole last part there, um, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then jump to verse 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, first five books, prophets, those last bunch of books, and the Psalms, which was shorthand for the wisdom literature, those books in the middle of the Old Testament must be fulfilled. Moses, Psalms, prophets. What is that shorthand for? The entire Old Testament, right? Jesus says quite clearly multiple times that the Old Testament is about him. Thus, as Christians, we must read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus and the New Testament. He's the point of the Old Testament. It all points to and foreshadows and builds towards him. Thus, we must 
do so with the book of Judges as well. Right? We don't read these stories for moral lessons to emulate. No, we now mine the pages of the Old Testament looking for Christ, seeing what it teaches us about him and how it prepares the way for him. You see, the problem with these fundamentalist sermons on the Old Testament that preach a moral lesson from the text is that you could preach that exact same message in a synagogue, right? And it would make no difference, right? That's their scriptures as well. And if the message is be brave like David, then the message could be preached in either place. There's nothing distinctly Christian about it. That's why our goal in every message we preach from both the Old and the New Testaments is always to get to the gospel, right? All roads lead to Rome, while all biblical roads lead to Christ, even the book of Judges. He is the point of every sermon that we preach. Since being a Christian is not primarily about being a good person, but about being in Christ, then our messages shouldn't primarily be these self-help messages about being a good person, but our messages should be about Christ. That is what we talked about in Galatians, right? Just telling a bunch of sinners to stop sinning and do better accomplishes nothing, right? There is no power there. There is no hope for change there, right? We all do what we love and what we desire, right? When we sin, it's because we love that sin at that moment more than we love um, Christ or God, right? You, You will never stop that sin unless you replace that love with a stronger love, And that is why we preach and we present and we hold up Christ in Scripture, right? That's how the change comes. Because as we we present Christ, as He is displayed to us through the words of Scripture, and we start to see Him and the beauty of His person and the beauty of His work in our place, then we start to desire that and we start to love that more than we love our sin and ourself and these other things. And that's how we start to change. It's about having our loves rearranged. And that's why a message of don't do this and don't do that and try harder, it'll never work, right? It will never change anything. That's moralism, that's, that's legalism, that's not grace. But that's exactly why a message about grace and about Christ will do something, right? So that's what we want to do with judges. Yes, we're going to look at these old stories and, and their original meaning, but our goal will always be to see what these teach us about the person and the work of God for his people, which prepares the way for the ultimate manifestation of that in the person of Jesus Christ, right? So the Old Testament is about him, right? That's why it's not a waste of our time to work through Judges, because ultimately Judges is about him too, right? It's about Jesus. That's your third reason. Fourth reason why Judges. Because Judges is a much needed and very helpful corrective to the tendency in the world and the recent tendency in the church to emphasize man, ourselves, our goodness, our power, and our control. And it started writing up this, I, like, I wanted to do like a quick 3,000 year history of philosophy here, but I deleted it for you. I'm not going to do that to you. But I want you to know what humanism is, right? Human, good, yeah, that ism, and it becomes something different, right? Humanism is different, right? The father of humanism was this Greek philosopher named Protagoras, really, really cool name. And he sums up this system of belief with this famous saying that you've probably heard, right? Man is the measure of all things, right? Man is the measure of all things. That's, that's humanism. And as much as I want to do a whole sermon on this, we can't. But most basically, humanism is where man is 
ultimate, right? Man is at the top, where what man does and thinks um, is, is the most important. And one of the central tenets of humanism is the belief that human beings shape and control their own destiny, right? It is the will of man that determines the fate and the destiny of man. Man is independent, free, autonomous, and, and able, right? It's this poem I've quoted a couple of times, Invictus. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul, right? That's, that's humanism. And one of the great tragedies in the 20th, 20th and 21st century in the church is the degree to which humanism has crept in and started to shape and influence Christianity. Right? Humanism makes much of man and his goodness and his innate abilities to do and to choose. And much of Christianity has adopted this. And listen, I understand the attraction. Right? I like to make much of myself. I am naturally prideful and arrogant. I want to be told how good I am. I want to be told that I am in control and that my fate is in my own hands. Right? The church has bought into the great lie of the world that man left to himself decent, right? He's, he's not that bad. Maybe even, maybe even good. And with just a little bit of help um, from God, right? I can get by with a little help from my God, right? That's the message of this, right? If we just a little bit of help from God, we can get things together, we can figure things out and be all right and be saved. And this is directly related to the tendency to preach this Old Testament scriptures as little more than moral examples to be followed. Because if we start off with the presupposition that we're pretty good, we're pretty decent, all we then need is to just be told a little bit what to do and how to get better. Right? That's why they then preach the stories that way. These two things are related. Right? Since we're all right and we can do all right on our own, just tell me what to do and then I can do it. And then we preach these Old Testament stories the wrong way. But what is so great and what I love about Judges is that it absolutely demolishes any sense of the innate goodness and power and ability of man. Right? Judges is going to give us a very stark and graphic picture of what happens when God lets man be man. When God lets man do what man naturally does. And the results are horrific. Judges is so important because judges is a great blow to the pride of man. And I don't know about you, but my pride could always stand to be knocked down a peg or two. And Judges is going to do that for us over and over again. So we're doing Judges in part because of our natural tendency to make much of ourselves and our own ability to follow and choose God on our own. Judges is going to very painfully show us our true condition. How wicked and how sinful and how helpless we are apart from Him. But to just stop there would be would be cruel, right? Thankfully, that's not the whole story of Judges. A more important reason that we want to spend time in this book is because while we tend to make much of man, Judges is going to make uh, much of God, right? We have tended in recent years to minimize God's holiness, right? As we start to emphasize our power and our ability and our goodness, at the same time, we've started to minimize God's holiness and God's power and God's control and His sovereignty. And Judges is going to correct that tragic mistake. Right? In showing us how sinful and evil and dark we are, what Judges actually ends up doing is magnifying how holy and good and light God is. By showing us how helpless we are, it shows us how capable God is. By showing us how faithless 
we are, as the choir just sung, it shows us how faithful our God is. And this contrast is really helpful in our understanding, right? Darkness makes the light all that much more glorious, right? If you go stand in Times Square tonight at midnight, right? You're not even going to be able to see a star, right? There's so much ambient light around you. So you could leave thinking, oh, this guy's not that impressive. These um, stars aren't um, that bright. But if you drive an hour outside of the city, drive up um, into the Poconos in the middle of nowhere, away from light and civilization, oh, man, you'd just be stunned by the brilliance of the night sky and the Milky Way and the galaxy and just how beautiful it is, right? It shines forth in the midst of that darkness. And when we, when we potty trained Emma, we slept her in... Um, what are these things called? Pull-ups, right? Because I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to risk it. She didn't need it, but we were putting them in it for our sake. We went through a box of them, and we got a new box of them, and we didn't really know anything about it. But these were glow-in-the-dark pull-ups. And so we were telling Emma about it, and getting all, she's getting all excited about it. And we pull them out of the box. Well, they look exactly the same. She's like, she's completely unimpressed. Right? Just, what are these? There's no different, right? But we flipped that light switch. We went into the bathroom in the middle of the dark and turned that on. Man, those things are awesome, right? It's just like super bright and glowing. What's her name? Like Rapunzel's hair is like glowing brightly um, in the dark. And it was just beautiful and really, really cool, right? Sometimes it takes a little bit of darkness to help us appreciate the light, right? And that's what Judges is going to do for us, right? And that's why we talk a lot here about sin and about total depravity, because you t- until you recognize how dark your situation was, you'll never be impressed by the light. Until you recognize the depths of your own sinfulness and your total inability to do anything about it, you'll never be that impressed by God's grace and God's rescue from that darkness. So as we work through some of these stories, Listen, especially as we get to the end, there's this cycle that we're going to talk about next week, right? There's sin, right? They cry out to God. God sends a deliverer. Deliverer saves them. Deliverer dies. And then they sin again. And it's this cycle six times. But what's interesting is if you read through it, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And by the end, you're just going to be completely disturbed um, by what is happening um, in this book, right? The, the depth of the depravity and the sinfulness of this people is shocking. But that's exactly the point, right? The, the, the temptation for you, and I, you've got to fight this temptation. The temptation is going to be, well, I'm not that bad. Right? I never had my concubine murdered and then cut her up and sent her across the country. Right? I never did anything like that, so, so I'm all right. right? We, we tend to slip into salvation by comparison right? or assurance by comparison. Well, I'm better than that guy, so I'm probably doing all right. Well, at least I'm not Hitler or something, right? right? No, don't do that when it comes to the book of Judges, right? These are God's people that we are going to be reading about. We are God's people, right? These stories aren't supposed to encourage us, but to challenge us and to warn us that it, were it not for the grace of God, we would be no different. This is what we do, what we would do if we were left to ourselves. This is what happens when man is the measure of all things. And when you get an honest look at that, and then also start to see God's mercy and his faithfulness, even in the midst of such wickedness, you're really going to start to appreciate who he is and what he has done for you. That song in the choir saying, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, it's beautiful and it's brilliant and it's fantastic but listen it's not going to be that impressive to you if you're like well, I'm a pretty decent person right it's easy to be faithful to my wife right she's she's beautiful and she's kind and she serves me and takes care of me right that's not a hard thing to do right but that's not what we're like in comparison 
to God, right? He is faithful to us when we are unfaithful to him, when we are unattractive, when we are rejecting him and sinning against him, yet he remains faithful. That's what Judges is going to show us, the great faithlessness of us, yet God then remains faithful to us in spite of that. And really seeing that and understanding that is going to give you a fresh and new appreciation for, for who he is and what he has done for you. Right, so we need judges because a realistic look at the depths of man's wickedness is going to give us a newfound appreciation for the goodness and the grace of God who still works on behalf of and who still pursues and rescues his people. All right, so let's, let's close by just spending this last couple of minutes um, by looking at this last verse um, of Judges. This is a summary of the book, 21-25, one more time. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We'll come back next week. Uh, there's a lot of context we've got to explain, right? This isn't going to make a lot of sense if you don't understand. This is, this is history, right? This happened. So you need to know what happened before to make a little sense of it, right? Israel has been brought out of Egypt. They, they've been traveling. Joshua just happened before. They've come into the land. They've conquered it. We'll, we'll explain um, some of the warfare and the destruction. We'll, we'll talk about that um, next week and how God could command such things. So come back um, for that. Um, they've, they've come into the land. Now Judges is them trying to settle the land and live the land. And then right after Judges comes the kings, right? Well, there's Ruth real quick, but then comes 1 Samuel, and then comes Saul, and then comes David, and then comes um, the monarchy, right? This is that intermediary, inter, intermediary period um, between um, basically the exodus and then um, the monarchy, right? That's where we are um, right now, but we'll talk about that more um, next week. But this verse, 21-25, contains in it, I think, the two main themes of the book. And these themes that we're just going to continue to come back to over and over and over again. Right? The first theme of Judges is, um, call, I couldn't think of a better way to put it. It's, it's the Canaanization of Israel. Right? The land is Canaan right? that they're entering, C-A-N-A-A-N. Right? The people in it, uh, there are a bunch of different people in it, but kind of loosely, broadly, they are the, the Canaanites. And we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. But basically, this means that instead of God's people coming in, and being a positive influence for change in the world and those around them, the world ends up coming in and being a negative influence of change um, among God's people. Right? What we're going to see happen progressively through this book is God's people are going to start to look more and more and act more and more like the people around them and like the world. And the primary antagonist in the story, besides Israel itself, Israel's the, the bad guy. Israel's his own enemy in this story. But besides that, it's going to be these Canaanites. And as we're going to see next week, right, Israel was supposed to come in and they were supposed to remove them from the land. And we'll, don't get caught up on that yet. We'll talk about it next week. Um, Israel came in. They failed to do that, right? They didn't. They ignored God's word. They did not obey him. And the rest of the book of Judges is the consequences of that um, disobedience. They leave these people in there, they, these people who like to make sacrifices of their children um, to the gods, where there was this, this all kinds of, we'll get into the details of their um, lives. These weren't good um, people. Um, their influence then starts to affect um, Israel. Right? Judges is a picture of what happens when people completely disregard God and start living however they want. Right? We think that this is the height of freedom and living, right? doing whatever we want, whenever we want, with no authority over us. But Judges is such a relevant book for us because, um, to, to look at because exactly this is what is happening in the world 
today, right? As our culture continues to shift more and more away um, from God, things um, that not too many years ago would have been scandalous and, and unheard of are now celebrated and encouraged. But listen, it would be really easy to stand in here and lament all that wickedness out there. But that's not what Judges is primarily doing, right? The focus of Judges is not on Canaan and the Canaanites, right? Its concern is in here. Its concern is with God's people. Its focus is on the tragic results of what happens when God's people start to look and act no differently than the world. When the morality, the concerns, and the cares, and the actions of God's people are no different than the world's. And this is precisely what is happening in many churches today. Right? It's becoming harder and harder in a culture that grows increasingly um, antagonistic to what we believe. It's becoming harder to hold on to those challenged beliefs. But Judges is going to show us that we must because the alternative um, of disobeying him, uh, of rejecting and ignoring his word is so far worse. Right? When everyone does what they think is right for them, chaos and anarchy ensues. And we're going to see that very clearly here in Judges. That's why the book is so dark. right? That's why it's so relevant to us because we are facing that exact same thing today. But again... That's not the whole story of Judges. The first part of the verse gives us the second major theme of the book. And a hint at the solution to our problem. For there was no king in Israel. Now the author seems to be attributing much of the problems in this book to the lack of a king. Well, what is a king? What does a king do? Well, a good king provides leadership he provides protection and security, prosperity, um, flourishing and happiness. All of these things that we all desperately want and need. Right? That's what a king was supposed to provide. But the great irony, right? if you go ahead and read on through First and Second Samuel, if you read the rest of the story, is that once Israel gets a king, that king proves to be no better than the terrible judges. But then once that bad king is replaced by the ideal king, once he is replaced by the best king that Israel would ever have, he proves to be a lying, unfaithful, adulterous murderer. Right? The situation under the kings is no better than the situation under the judges. Which, circling all the way back around to our general failure to misunderstand the Old Testament and its true meaning, shows us what judges is primarily about. The king. Right, this book is not look at these judges and imitate them and be like them, nor is it, oh, look ahead for the coming kings and imitate and be like them. No, our last verse is correct, right? The problem was their need for a king, but not a human king, right, like the rest of them. He would just end up doing what was right in their, his own eyes as well. What they needed was a divine king, the good king, who would end up doing what was right in his all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, and all-perfect eyes. And that's what Judges is going to point us to. Yes, it's dark and violent and disturbing, right? That's what happens when we reject the king and try to be the king ourselves. It's the same thing we talked about last week, boasting in the flesh versus boasting in the cross, identifying, trusting, resting, and depending either on yourself or on God. E either you're the king or he's the king. There's no, there's no middle ground. It's one or the other. And Judges is going to show us very graphically what happens when we attempt to kick him off the throne of our lives. And it leads to nothing but death and destruction. Because he is the rightful king. He's the only one then who has the power and the authority and the ability to play that role. 
Thus, when we try to do it, it is a disaster, right? Just go read history and go read about the aftermath of what happens when a king dies, right? It's chaos, right? All these other guys swarm and try to take the throne. None of them are able. None of them have the power. And then it just plunges nations and countries into chaos because those people were not fit or equipped or able to be the king. That's what happens in our lives, right? When we kick the king out, when we try to be the king, we will fail miserably and the results will be disastrous. But the best thing about judges is that through all that disaster, through all the mess, and through all the sin, we get a picture of the good king who is committed and faithful to his people in spite of their rejection and their unfaithfulness, which is a message that we all desperately need to hear. Right? Some of you in here have done some terrible things um, that you are terribly ashamed of. Right? Things that sometimes make you wonder, is there really any hope for me, right? Could God ever really love someone as terrible as me? Right? I know, I know that feeling. But Judges is going to answer that question with a resounding yes, right? If salvation is not about our goodness, but God's, and that doesn't change, and that's inexhaustible, that means that then none of us are too far gone. Some of you just spent an entire week doing what was right in your own eyes, and you desperately need to see the consequences of that sin. But far more importantly, you need to see the merciful and gracious God who does not forsake his people when they forsake him. Judges is the gospel. It shows us that we are more sinful and broken than we can even begin to imagine, Keller, yet that we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. In the end, what we have here in Judges is just this beautiful story of grace, right? We just spent five months um, specifically studying grace from the pen of Paul in Galatians. And here we see that same grace demonstrated in story, right? Paul's message is the same as the message of Judges. That's why we just read Romans chapter 5, um, verse 20, right? This is Judges, Romans 5.20, where sin increased, remember it's a cycle, ever-increasing, ever-worsening sin. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the whole verse. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's the gospel, right? That's our hope. As our sin progresses, as our sin remains, it never goes away. God's sin remains. And God's sin is bigger. And it is greater. And it increases all the more. Or what about 2 Timothy 3, 13? Here's Judges again. If we are faithless... Judges, that's us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That's Judges, the great faithlessness of man, but the even greater faithfulness of God. Right? He is good, and he is committed to his people. His people that desperately need a king, a savior, a deliverer, a judge. And though they do not deserve it, God continually provides one for them anyways. Imperfectly in these various individuals that we're going to look at, but then abundantly perfectly in the King, the Savior, the Deliverer, and the Judge, Jesus Christ. Right? This book is all about Him. And my prayer is that through this, God's going to open our eyes to the depths of our sinfulness, to our inability, to how undeserving we are of anything from him, but then to the far greater heights of his love and his grace, right? That's how you're going to change, right? That's how you're going to start um, to really believe this and live this. As we continue to study Christ 
and look at Christ and stare at Christ and just be uh, more and more captivated um, by his goodness and by his grace. And the great contrast of the darkness of our lives and the darkness of judges is going to help that just shine forth all the more brightly to us and help us to better appreciate God's grace. All right, so let me close in a word of prayer. Let's pray for the series again um, that God will really use and work um, in this time. Let's pray. Father, we are um, sinners. Um, Father, we are um, the people um, in this book. Uh, Father, we have run from you and ignored your word and rejected you. Um, Father, but we thank you for the, the message of the whole scriptures, um, Father, that we see over and over again that you are a God who loves and pursues his people. You are a God who are, is committed and faithful to his people, no matter how unfaithful and sinful um, uh, they are. Father, we thank you for that. That is our only hope, um, Lord. And so I pray that you would use these next couple months, um, Father, um, to really show that um, to us through your word. Father, I pray that through this we would better appreciate you and the gospel and Jesus Christ and, and your grace towards us undeserving um, sinners. Um, Father, help us to make much less of ourselves and to start making um, much um, about you, uh, Lord, because it is all about you. It's all about Christ. He is our um, only hope for life. He's our only hope um, for change um, and growth. Um, Father, he's, he's everything. Um, I pray that um, as we work through this series that you would make him uh, more and more everything in each of our lives. Um, Father, work in my heart um, through your word um, in these coming weeks. Father, work in the heart of everyone in here. Father, I pray that we would love your word and love what it reveals to us about you and about your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you and we pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen.